Present yourself. Your body is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Those verses may feel and sound a little familiar because we started with those last Sunday and we pick up this Sunday. I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the phrase, He's set in His ways? What's that mean? Doesn't it mean a person isn't going to change or stubborn? Kind of like a leopard, he can't change his spots, right? Well, I want to share something with you. That the blood of Jesus Christ can change the most stubborn soul there is. The grace of God can redeem everyone who's lost or broken that's ever walked and will ever walk on the face of the earth. Not only that, the Holy Spirit can transform our minds and our lives that we would be a shining vessel as would the darkest, deepest soul become a light unto God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no unredeemable soul. That's good news, isn't it? There's hope for me! And there's hope for you. And there's hope for everyone that we think is set in their ways. That there's a change that happens when you come to Jesus Christ. And there is a transformation that starts at the time that you are born again. And I don't mean born at birth, although when you're born at birth, you start a transformation process too. But I do mean that transformation is you come to be the old man that you were before Christ and you transform to become more and more Christ-like the older and more mature in the faith you get. It is an ongoing process as faith grows over time. That's important to remember this morning. Faith grows over time. It isn't you start with a little bit and that's all you get. It grows. Like a mustard seed, it becomes a big tree. That's what Jesus compared it to. It grows over time. I think I said that enough. It also, when it grows over time, develops deeper works. By developing deeper work, I mean is what James says, faith without works is dead faith. But deeper faith has deeper works. So when your faith grows, your works grow deeper. Your deeper works do not cause your faith to grow. They come as a result of it. Now the question I have for you, if you would look over your life in the last few years, is your walk showing more fruit, which is the works, as you grow in relationship with Christ? Are you doing more and more? Or are you backing off, slacking off, or asking someone else to pick it up? The question is very important because the works don't always have to be the same works. God will sometimes move you from one position in life to another, to another, but it will always be to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And what is fruit for the kingdom of God? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ redeeming another and another person drawing closer and lives being redeemed and restored. So are you an agent for Jesus Christ in ways that you didn't expect 
or anticipate, or has it been the same old, same old for years? Are you changing lives for Jesus Christ because God is moving through you to do that? It's a question we have to ask because it tells us the depth of our faith, not the depth of our commitment. You see, commitment comes from faith. Faith doesn't come from commitment. Faith is first. Now, there are a lot of varying views on church and involvement in church. We talked about several of those last week. I had about 25 of them. We got through a few. Um, But our view of church is biased. No matter who you are, your view of what church is all about is biased. It's colored by our experiences in life. Our understanding of our relationship with Jesus is also biased for the same reasons our view of church is. Everybody has their own filter or colored glasses that they see life through based on what they've experienced in their life. Doesn't mean it's wrong, doesn't mean it's right. It just means we have a certain slant towards what we see and understand. And for the same reason, our views and interactions with other people are based on how we're raised, our experiences with people in life, and our reactions and their reactions to how we respond to them. So if there's a bias in our relationship with church, and there's a bias in our relationship with Jesus, and there's a bias in our interaction and view of other people, would you think there's a pattern going on? That we're biased people. And we are. We all are. We all have a way we think is right. We all have a way that things should be done. We all have a sense of moral or immorality. We all have it and it's all different from the next person. I'll give you a good example. A few years ago, the Special Olympics had a foot race. And when you line up at the starting gate, if you've ever seen them, they kind of take their mark and they assume the position for the race. And when the gun goes off and they say go, everybody goes toward the finish line. Is this correct? And the person who crosses the finish line first is the winner. That's the goal of the race, right? When people run a marathon, doesn't the winner get the prize? Let me share something with you about the Special Olympics. They had a foot race and one of them fell. Couldn't get up. Obviously, Special Olympics, special needs, difficulty managing the daily activities of life physically. Do you know what happened? Every last runner stopped, turned around, and went back to the one that fell and helped them up. They helped them up and they all crossed the finish line together because their bias on racing isn't to win, but to finish together. Most people who run a marathon don't win the race. And most people who are new at it are glad they just finished. The goal isn't to win, it's to help others finish the race. This is the bias that God is trying to change for us. Well, I'm out here in the lead rather than the race for Jesus, but you're leaving everybody else behind. That's not so good, is it? That would be a problem. 
So this morning, I'm asking you to think about the fact that you have biases and what God's trying to do to transform them to be more like Jesus would see it. This is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is asking us to do. That our minds would be transformed rather than conforming to the patterns of this world. After all, you know, at an Olympic race, one person gets the gold medal and nobody else. But the most moving, touching stories I've seen are when people fall and people help them up and help them finish. Or when someone endures hardship and they finish despite that. Because finishing is the battle, not the winning. There are so many people who give up on church, on faith, on, on, on helping others because they don't think they're going to win, let alone finish. And we're here to encourage one another to finish. We're not here to win the race. We're here to run the race together. That we all are in it as one. That the person who's lagging the furthest behind is the first one we need to help. Not the last one. Why? Because it seems like our bias on life and things is kind of like this. I know what I want. I know what I want for my family. And if I get those things, I'm happy. I might have time to help others. You know, it would be good to give a little bit here and a little bit there. And sometimes they say give 60 or give 5 minutes or 10%, whatever you want to talk about. But God doesn't look at it like that. God simply looks at what are you doing with the resources He gave you first? What are you doing first with them? Not with the leftovers, but with the first fruits. The first thing God gives you. What is your bias on the first part of what you get? God says, and ask for the first fruit. Cain and Abel had that problem. Abel gave the first fruit, Cain did not. Abel gave the best, Cain gave the leftovers. And Cain was jealous of Abel for doing it right. But we say, well, you don't understand, i got so much to do, so much... Uh, is demanded of me. I don't have time or enough resources to do that. Imagine you had none and then you had the resources you do have now. All of a sudden you have some. This is the idea. God has given you some. Now, to God you say, thank you or uh, I don't know what to do about that. God is asking us to help others finish. All of us. Not some of us, not most of us, all of us to finish the race of faith and to do so in ways that help each other. And no matter what your bias and each other's view on things are, we all need transformation in our thinking, our beliefs, actions, and attitudes. Nobody here can say, I'm exempt from the need for God's transforming work in my life. Nobody here can say that. Nobody here should be so set in their ways that the blood of Jesus Christ is no longer necessary for you to have a fresh start every day. The blood of Jesus guarantees a new start for everybody. For anyone. I'm not going to ever look at someone and say, I can't help you. God can't help you. You're a lost cause. 
There are people who may be frustrating to us, but it may be that we direct someone else to help them rather than ourselves. Someone who can reach them when we cannot. I say this because our beliefs affect what we do. And someone asked this question one time, do you act like you believe? That was the question. Do you act like what you believe? And the answer to that question is no matter how you act, it reflects on what you believe. Your actions always reflect your beliefs. If you say, I believe that God is real and He demands of me or asks me to do all these things, and you're not doing those, you're just saying you believe that. Your actions show your beliefs. The faith with the works thing. If your works aren't there, your faith isn't doing anything, it's dying or dead. Faith grows. There's always going to be an action in what we do. There's a transformation process from old works to new works. From worldly works and fleshly desire to godly desire and godly works. It's a process. And God transforms our mind renewing them. And here's why. To show and prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We none of us know the will of God very well. There's the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. Most folks are going after the acceptable will of God. And that is, well, God had struck me dead for this, so I guess it's okay. That's the acceptable will of God. The good will of God is when you're beginning to do the works for the kingdom and God is helping you begin to produce fruit. The perfect will of God is when it seems like it's effortless and yet there is fruit beyond fruit and more fruit. Some people, believe it or not, don't care if they bear fruit through the kingdom of God. Truly. doesn't matter if their lives are involved in talking about God or praying for another. It doesn't matter to them. And yet they still believe that they have faith. The question I ask each person that says that is, does your bias say that your lack of fruit and work is proof that you have faith or disproof? And I can't answer that for that person, but I can tell you this, that God will look at us on Judgment Day and look at our lives and look at what we've done, said, and not done, and not said, when led by the Holy Spirit to do. Now here's an interesting thing I want to share with you. God is moving this church forward. He's begun a work here, and it's a great work. Many of us are looking back still at the glory days, as we call them, the way it used to be. I hear about the shebang. As a matter of fact, someone told me his testimony a few weeks ago. And he said, I was at this church in Carlisle County. And he said, I was at this thing, I can't remember what it was called, but a bunch of youth gathered there because a Methodist church there. And he said, uh, I got saved there. And I said, was it called the big shebang? He goes, that's it. That's where I was saved. And I said, I'm at that church now. And he said, that's a good church. And so, fruit still lasts from that. Lives have still been changed. Yet sometimes we look at that and go, well, we need to do that again. And it could be that way again. But God's moving us into a new era as witnessed by uh, the, the collapse and demise of our blue building. 
seen an era go, but God says, I've got a fresh thing I'm doing. A new work. A fresh thing that I have you doing that's going to produce fruit, more fruit, and greater fruit. And God's not done with us. He's just starting this new era. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? I know you didn't say it out loud, but I know you were thinking it. I talked last week a little bit about how a few years ago we talked about this being a church of family in 2014. In 2015, we didn't see it come to pass. And last October, October 2nd, 2016, we had our Vision Sunday. It's always the first Sunday in October because that was the first Sunday I became pastor here. It was first Sunday of October in 2012. And, and I asked God to show us what He's trying to do here. And He led me to Luke chapter 14. And I shared these verses with you on that morning. And I shared about a 10-minute vision statement. It's online. You can still hear it. It's called Vision Statement, if I'm not mistaken, from October 2nd. And I want to read to you, and I have it for the screen as well, what those verses are. And I'm confirming for you this morning that God is doing this here. Not a vision statement, a reality statement now. And it's Jesus speaking, by the way. These are the words written in Bob, uh, red, Bob. And I do believe these are true. And Jesus also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, typical biological nuclear local family, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Those are works. Creating family out of who used to not be family. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses for not coming. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, the four hundred. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room for more. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. For I say to you that none of those who were originally invited shall have a bite of my supper. 
the old things that were tried and true, societally correct, people excused themselves from for one reason or another doing God's work. And so He invited those who would come. And I share with you, God is redefining family for our church. Everybody who walks through our door is family. Should be treated as such. And I do mean welcomed family, not the black sheep of the family. Jesus said He would begin to do that work for us and He's doing it now. We are seeing this happen. When I mentioned Wednesday evening, the next movie, and I believe the date may change on that, so we'll make a firm date on that next Sunday after our board meeting. But I want to share with you this. I asked them if they would come to see The Shack because I was concerned. I'd heard a lot of different comments when it first came out that people were panning it and some people saying how good it was. And so when I asked who would come, hands shot up all over the room who've never been here on any day but Wednesday. You understand that will bring people for an opportunity that this will do for us that will help us to reach more people. And with that movie, I have an idea that God's put on my heart to do in conjunction with it that will help us reach more yet. God is reaching those people through us. Most churches don't know how to do that. God's doing it through us regardless. <laughs> and I'm thankful. I want to share also something that happened to me a few years ago. One day I was arguing with God about that verse that says you should love everybody. I was arguing. Do you ever argue with God? Can't win. He knows more. Knows how I think before I do. It's just not fair. It's like the guy has the answer when I'm getting to in the argument. He's going, I'm just going to let you argue until you get to my answer. You ever had that with God? Well, one day I was arguing with God and I was driving to a church to preach and I said, God, I'm really upset with these people. I just can't love them. And He says, why not? And I said, because they're so rude. He said, that's about them, but why can't you love them? They're rude, that's their problem. What's your problem? And I said, well, well, they don't like me very much. And he said, again, that's about them. Don't talk about them. Talk about why you can't love them, not why they don't like you. And I said, all right, God, because um, they don't want to listen to me when I preach. And God goes, okay, let's try this again. This is about them. Not about you. Why can't you love them? And I said, I run out of excuses. I just don't want to. He said, now we get the truth. <laughs> Bring that to me. You don't want to. Well, let me help you by transforming your heart and mind to be like my son instead of like you because you don't look like you want to talk to people about me with love in your heart. And I would Immediately, said, God, that's not fair. Now I'm feeling guilty, convicted. And now I've got to pray and tell the people that you love them, so do I. 
regardless of circumstance or situation. No excuse. Transformed. And from that day forward, I never said that again about a person. It's been over 20 years ago that I said that. And God reminded me that I should love my neighbor as myself. And who is our neighbor? Everybody. Everybody, yeah. In the story of the Good Samaritan, the man who's a Samaritan isn't a Good Samaritan. He's being a neighbor. He's not being good. He's doing what's good and right. doesn't make him good. It should be about the bad Levites and the bad priest. And they didn't want to give the Levites and the priests a bad name, so they called the Samaritan good. Only God is good. But what I share with you is the lawyer who asked this question of Jesus, who is my neighbor, he told the story of the good Samaritan at the end. Jesus said, which of the three was the neighbor? And here is what the attorney said. Proving God's point to the attorney. The attorney said, the one who has compassion on people. Who doesn't judge them, but rather sees a place for mercy and grace. And Calvary's outpouring of grace. And the lawyer answered that way, and Jesus says, good. You do likewise. Thank God. Who is our neighbor? It's everybody. And how are we neighborly? Compassion, care, concern, esteeming them higher than ourselves, loving them more. I don't know about you, but I have to tell you something. I'm not very good at tennis. I have a confession to make. I'm not good at tennis. Let me tell you why. Because I don't practice serving. The only way you can win at tennis is if you have a good serve. Well, we're not in tennis court right now, but the match is love to love. And we need to improve our serve. As a church, as individuals. For it is a game that starts at love. On both sides. And we both need it. And we both offer it. And God knows that. So are you actively serving somewhere? Are you practicing your serve? Are you learning how? Somewhere, some way, somehow, on a weekly basis. Serving others. Serving God. Is there anything you're doing for the kingdom of God that you can say, God, I'm doing this for you? I mean that to be a challenging question because if your answer is no, God is looking at your heart and saying, I need you. I need you. When you come to church here to serve and to learn how to serve, you're getting it. You're starting to see what God's trying to do. God wants to speak to you and for you to speak to others the language of love. It has a certain ring to it. Just like truth, love sounds different than anything else. I used to volunteer in nursing homes singing and playing my guitar. They are very gracious people at nursing homes. How can they tell? Because they appreciated me playing and singing my guitar 
when I wasn't very good at it and encouraged me to keep coming back and doing it again. I remember one time I had this lady in a nursing home who was so gracious and I wanted to outgrace her. I tried really hard. I would say how wonderful the people were and how wonderful the, they thanked them for coming out. No, they didn't have to. And I'd go over, over and see her and she'd look at me and go, you're just blessing my heart and you know how much you mean to us and thank you for the prayer. And she outgraced me. Amen. And I thought, I'm coming back in a month I'm going to outgrace that lady. I'm going to show her that I can improve my serve and she, she's going to She's going to know. So the following month, I decided to go to the Alzheimer's wing. You know the Alzheimer's wing, the one that's locked. And they won't remember you've been there. And so the only person who will ever remember you were there were the staff and God and yourself. But for a few minutes in their life, they smile. And they sing the songs they remember. So I went in there. And I sang. And then I came back out and did the singing for the others and... And I, and I looked for her and I said, um, guess what I did? I went to the Alzheimer's wing. And she goes, you're getting it. <laughs> she understand. She heard what my intent was to love people where they were. And she goes, you're getting it. She got me again. She knew the love language. It has a ring to it. But so does every other kind. Anger has a ring to it. Distrust, bitterness, all have certain rings to it. But when love is spoken, it gets people's attention. Because it's really, really hard to find genuine, authentic love. Do you know what I think is wonderful? There are many people new to us and who've been here for years who find love here and hear the language of love here. This world is dying for that. So used to the biases of being taken advantage of, hurt. I'm going to tell you, I'm excited about what God's doing here and I want to be a part of what happens next. God is active and transformation is taking place nearly every time we come here. I love seeing it. It really is happening too. I keep trying to tell myself, am I just seeing this? Am I just being optimistic? No, I'm not being optimistic. I'm looking at examples specific each time. It's not something that is wishful thinking. It really is happening here. God is transforming our church. Some of us are unsure about it. We're still thinking, well, good, the shebang will come back. <laughs> it isn't what God's trying to do. He's trying to use us for a different set of people who really, really, really need Jesus. Who really need love. And believe it or not, we're some of them. got a phone call this week. I didn't know if I was going to share this story, but I really feel like I need to. I got a phone call this week from a guy who washes dishes for a living. And he's having a panic attack. 
Anybody familiar with those or seen anybody have one? I mean, this is full blown. And I said, calm down, what's going on? Slow down, slow down. They need silverware. And I'm running plates right now. They need silverware. Are you sure? Well, no, I, they really don't. Because they told me they got enough. But someone else keeps saying they need silverware and I'm freaking out because they won't leave me alone. And you know what my response was? It's just dishes. It's just dishes. It's not your life being laying on the line. It's not somebody's life. If you're going to have a pet attack, have it about having someone you can't save for God. Have someone who you can't pull out of a pit who's going to die unless you do. Have a panic attack about that. Not dishes. Not forks and knives and spoons for goodness sake. About people who are dying without God and without hope. Panic over the right things. If you got a mental illness, use it for God. I do. I use my anxiety to help others. And people relate to the depression I face. They can understand it. And I can understand theirs. And it helps me understand it in their terms to say God can overcome this. There is a way. That's why I work with folks with mental illness still. Because God says, I can use you there. I don't know how many times in the last week I've sat down with people who have had struggle after struggle and, and they needed hope restored. And I've had to sit down and say, you, I want you to learn to love yourself better. Because you're not treating yourself like you care about yourself. And lay out a plan for them to care for themselves. This is not my job, but it's my call. To love people where they are. To see a better future for them than they see for themselves. To see a future that they don't see even happening. That's why God brought me here. And I gotta tell you, God's still working on me and He's still working on us and He's still working on our church. We're growing and changing. I can't tell you the finished product. I can just tell you where we're at. Right now. Like a compass, it doesn't tell you where you're going, just the direction you're heading. And the reason I say all this is because in Romans 12 it talks about transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove the good acceptable will of God and the perfect will of God. And then, Paul says something in the next three verses. And this is why this is such an important message to me. He says in verse 3, Romans 12, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, it's a transformation thought. But to think soberly that we're all in it together. We all need to finish as one. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And since we each one have a measure of faith, we each have a work we can do. Faith and works go together. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually, right here, and individually members of one another. We are one in Christ. This is the story that we're learning here and telling 
and people need to hear it. The question I have for you this morning is, why do you think people need Jesus? Why do you think people need the church? And why do you think people need this church? I have my answers. Four months ago, I did not. But once you have those answers, you can be all in, as I am, in this church. And once you are all in with those three questions, they are in the bulletin, you can answer these questions. Who? Me? Why me? How? Me? Why not me? You have a measure of faith. God wants to see a measure of work. The church is ready for you. And so, are the broken lives here today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, our story is told through what we do for your kingdom and what we don't do. Whether we belong to you or don't belong to you. Whether we believe or don't believe. Heavenly Father, this morning I raise my hand and I bow my